podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The tenth time they've made it! They've won a playoff campaign! And they've done it at Wembley! And for the first time in 74 years, Brentford will play in the top flight of English football! And he puts it in! Sergi Carrick has scored the first goal of the Premier League season! Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Elam Road podcast. Today I'm joined by Clayton in the studio. Clayton, how are you, mate? Good, thank you, mate. And I'm delighted to also be joined by Jay Harris from The Athletic. Uh, Jay previously worked at Sky before making the new move over to The Athletic in the summer of 2021 to cover Brentford. Uh, He's produced loads of articles ranging from interviews with star players uh, to in-depth pieces on tactical analysis, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a bit. But yeah, Jay, thanks so much for coming on, mate. Uh, Really appreciate you taking the time. No, absolutely. Pleasure. Thanks for having me down. Sound. Um, before we get into the questions, we do have something that we didn't tell you about before. Uh, <laughs> but <coughs> we get every guest that comes on the podcast to tell their funniest Brentford story. And uh, basically, at the end of the season, we're going to rank them and do a little like top five kind of yeah. thing. So uh, I'll give you a couple of minutes to think about it. If you okay. can't think of one right off the cuff, we can come back to it at the okay, end of the podcast. Okay. Let, give me the episode and I'll, yeah, I'll think of exactly. one. Um, so yeah, we'll get into the questions. So first of all, Jay, thank you for your coverage over, of Brentford over the last year or so it's been really good we've all enjoyed it thank you um how has it been watching and covering Brentford in these last couple of years yeah uh, it's been a real pleasure um growing up it was always my main ambition to basically become a reporter and so when I was at Sky in the summer of 2021 the opportunity to go cover Brentford at the athletic came, at the athletic came up and um I knew it was going to be fun I didn't quite expect it to be uh as enjoyable as it has been uh, I feel really privileged that I kind of joined the club's journey it's a little bit cheeky in a way, just after they got promoted. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I didn't kind of uh, suffer the, the playoff curse. Um, but, you know, straight from that that opening night against Arsenal, you could tell that something special had been bottled at the club. And it was just such a roller coaster that first season to, you know, draw free all of Liverpool at home, um, to beat Chelsea 4-1 at Stamford Bridge and to be able to kind of live and breathe those experiences has been has been amazing. And then, as you kind of said earlier, to to get the chance to, to speak to Thomas Frank every week, um, to get the chance to interview some of the players, like, it's been been absolutely brilliant. Yeah. I, I mean, you, you mentioned like uh, it's kind of, it's good that we've gone on this kind of meteoric rise since you started covering. I, I wondered how much you kind of knew about Brentford before before you started with your role at The Athletic? A, a little bit. So at this point, <laughs> I may as well confess I'm not a, a diehard Brentford fan, not a <laughs> Brentford fan. Um, I knew little bits and pieces. Um, I knew obviously the club had a reputation for Moneyball, which is actually kind of, a, it's kind of a dirty word to say Moneyball. They don't really, they don't really like you saying no. Moneyball. I knew a little bit about that. Um, I knew about Josh De Silva because I remember that being quite a big thing at the time that he'd kind of rejected a contract offer at Arsenal had gone down to Brentford. Um, I knew about, a little bit about Thomas Frank. I obviously knew about the, the 2020 Championship Player Final. I think lots of, you know, the whole world was just locked up at that point in time. I think loads of people watched it. Um, I remember that really vividly. So yeah, knew lots of things. Obviously knew about BMW. So I knew a little <laughs> bit, but but I've obviously learned so much more since. Mm. Yeah, we don't like to talk about that for them. Play or <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't really happen. No, no, no it doesn't count. Exactly, it doesn't count. Uh, we, like you mentioned, we are like one of the smallest clubs in the league, sort of fan base-wise, financial power. Um, but I think this season, especially in the last couple of seasons, because of how well we've been doing on the pitch, there's been like, we're generating a lot of noise. We get a lot more coverage over it. I've kind of noticed this season. Um, especially we're getting picked more on TV, which is also good uh, for the fans that can't make it to the games. But 
obviously we're infamous for that moneyball approach that they hate us using. Um, <laughs> <laughs> how much have things changed since you since you started covering us in 2021? Uh, in in what way? In, in terms of in terms of you for, as a journalist, in terms of sort of Brentford's presence in in at, in the at the Athletic or just in, in general. Um, how much has things changed? I think I'm trying to think. I'm trying to rack, rack my brain. How much have things changed? I think, first of all, it was like a completely new experience for the club to be in the Premier League, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I think everybody was trying to work out what to do. I'm sure Thomas would be the first person to say he probably went from having two people on his um, press conference every week to having like 20 people at a time over Zoom. <laughs> and just the level of, of scrutiny that the club then got off the back of that obviously increases. Like you said, the coverage has massively increased. Um, and I think... Those first few months, especially that Brentford were in the Premier League, it was like, we don't really know what's going on. <laughs> We've beaten Arsenal, draw, drawn with Liverpool, should have beaten Chelsea. Um, this might stop being fun tomorrow and, and things might go horribly wrong and we have a loss of form. But that never really seemed to happen. Obviously, that was a little bit of a sticky patch. So I think this year, I wouldn't say anything's changed. I just think that the club, obviously know what they're doing. Like This is not unfamiliar territory anymore. Um, they know that when you're playing a game in the Premier League, one one tiny mistake and you'll lose a game. So I think there's just a bit more like knowledge all around that, OK, this is not a scary brand new experience anymore. But kind of like you still got that freshness that we're still new to the Premier League. Mm. Um, but it's not quite the daunting task it was 18 or so months ago. Yeah. Uh, just to go back to last season, um, you mentioned the Arsenal game. So was that your that was your first game covering Brentford, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, if you if you don't count the like preseason, yeah, okay, yeah, Bournemouth, yeah, Bournemouth, I think AFC Wimbledon, yeah, yeah. If you don't count them, that was the first proper one. Yeah. I think uh, I think for us, I kind of went into that game thinking we were. I I, I kind of knew that we were going to turn them over because it, it was kind of like yeah. we just got promoted. Obviously, what happened with last season, if we'd got promoted the season before, we wouldn't have been able to see the new stadium. It was like, we've been promoted to the Premier League, new stadium, first game against one of the big six. It was kind of like... And, and they had COVID in the squad as well. And they had COVID. They, yeah. The news came out about, I think Lacazette and Aubameyang were out. Yeah. It was kind of just like, you, you, we kind of knew that we were going to get something. What What was that like for you? Just like... First of all, as I kind of said, it was like my, my boyhood dream to become like a reporter. So that was like first time where I was at a Premier League ground or at a Premier League game where I was reporting. So from that perspective, it was like wow, like the, the dream's about to be accomplished. Like, the, like this is crazy. And it's um, Friday night under the lights. Like this is, that game was significant on so many levels. And what I always say to people, that was the first game post-COVID that had like full Premier League crowds again. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like, right, n like normality's back. Um, so that part of it was, was a little bit surreal. And I remember going on TV over Zoom and stuff like that ahead of the game and, and feeling quite excited and, and telling people I really think Brentford are, are going to beat Arsenal and had a few friends thinking you've been brainwashed and you've only been covering them for a couple of weeks. But I just, from watching Brentford and just the intensity and like you said, the kind of feeling that was, you know, they've finally broken the playoff curse, fans are finally uh, allowed in the stadium at full capacity. You just knew that whatever happened, something special was going to happen on that night. You knew... Mm. Even if Brentford had lost that day, it still would have been a momentous occasion. But just mm -hmm. there was so much, it almost felt impossible that Brentford were going to lose that game. <laughs> and I just think the way that Brentford play really suited coming up against that version of Mikel Arteta's Arsenal, mm -hmm. where Xhaka was the person who was the deepest line midfielder and he'd get the ball. And he, I think he's quite easy to kind of press high up the pitch. And that's exactly what happened. You know, Brentford kept turning the ball high over. Um, and so I just felt like it, it's Arsenal people are going to wrongly assume Arsenal are going to win this game. Mm -hmm. And, you know, 
people were kind of already writing off Brentford and saying they're going to go down in 20th place before a ball had even been kicked. And I think that was kind of like the first, um, what's the word, reality check for people that Brentford meant business. Yeah, I think uh, the, one of the differences from, from last season to this season, we, we spoke about it with Natalie when she came on, is that we kind of go into these games now against the top six, thinking a little bit like we did against Arsenal on the first day, but for different reasons. We go into these games against the top six thinking, you know, we might, we might actually nick something here. Well, what would you, what would you say you put that down to from looking, looking, looking at the team, looking how we set up now against the, the only team we've lost to so far in the big six this season is Arsenal. Yeah. And it's just like, it's an amazing record to have. What, what, what would you put that down to? I think, firstly, it's mentality. Mm-hmm. And I think that obviously comes from Thomas Frank and the coaches basically telling their players, like, this is nothing to be scared of. You've obviously seen it with teams in the past who go to the Etihad or they go to Stamford Bridge or Anfield or wherever and they would never come out and publicly say it but they are going to be a little bit maybe not intimidated by that atmosphere but you know massive stadiums loads of noise you're going to be you're going to have to learn how to deal with that and obviously if you're playing in a low block and it gets a little bit boring you're not seeing a lot of the ball it's hard to constantly concentrate Whereas I think the way Thomas Frank and the coaches just approach it, it's like, do you know what? There are going to be spells in this game where we're going to be defending for a long, long time. Don't get that twisted. But actually, we've got the tools to hurt them. So you look at that Man City game, and I was watching the highlights again recently just because, like, why, why wouldn't you? And it's just like, you just forget how many chances Brentford actually had in that game. Mm, yeah. You always remember the goals. But actually, from minute one, Onyeka had a chance, and then Tony had a chance, mm. which was pretty much cleared off the line. And it's like, Brentford was so, so... Um, solid defensively in that game but they also just knew a way where they could still push those teams and I think that's the key thing it's like okay we respect these teams but it doesn't mean that we can't hurt them ourselves I think in the Premier League and just at any levels of football sometimes you get so obsessed with thinking about how you nullify the opponent you don't focus on your strengths and I think Brentford are the complete opposite of that I think they really know what they're good at and they focus on that even like throw-ins for example <laughs> there's still so much um Kind of like a what's the word? Dis- yeah, disrespect yeah, yeah, towards yeah. throw-ins, and it's just something that Brentford are like. Why wouldn't we do it? And mm. um, and it's obviously worked against Arsenal. It worked against West Ham recently. I think tiny things like that make a difference, and mm. other clubs might think they're better than tactics like that. So I think that kind of plays to Brentford's advantage as well. Mm. You spoke about to- Thomas Frank. Obviously, you see him at the press conferences all the time. What, what do you think of him, just as a bloke? Because like everyone that we speak to is yeah, just like Natalie loved him. Natalie absolutely <laughs> loved him. Um, but yeah what, what do you think of him yeah I really liked Thomas I think from the minute I started covering the club he was quite welcoming um, and obviously I go to every game home and away so you just quickly see each other week in week out and I think that you obviously develop like a little bit of a rapport and I always kind of use the example of when Brentford signed Christian Eriksen loads of reporters the whole world mm-hmm. descended on Brentford's doorstep and wanted to, to tell that story and know that story and then the second Ericsson had played his had made his debut and you know had a run in the team those people stopped coming but I was still there so even when Ericsson was at the club and people were saying is he staying is he going I was still the one asking about well why did you switch to a 3-4-3 <laughs> in, in this game and I think there's a respect there that like oh okay he knows about some of the B team players who are coming through. He he'll try and ask me some slightly in depth tactical questions, although he's never going to give his secrets away. I think it's like okay, he's not just focused on Ivan the Ivan Tony show or the David Reyes show. He's focused on Shandon Baptiste or a B team player coming through. Um, so I think there's quite a good mutual level of respect there. And also he has got a good sense of humour. So there's yeah. been a couple of times where, you know, I've made a comment in a press conference and he's taken it quite well. And I'm not too sure if other managers would have done the same. 100%. So I'm grateful for that. Yeah, no, I, I literally remember saying to Natalie when we did the podcast, he's great 
manager to have as someone to interview in a press conference yeah. because I can think like there are probably a couple of obviously a lot of them have got charisma but I think he's he's so charismatic that he can kind of switch the conversation from being quite funny yeah. and, then, and then go and dive, dive into a chat yeah. about tactics um, so it's just like a, it's a dream as a reporter going to a press conference to speak to someone like that who kind of knows the balance between the two um, I did want to talk a little bit about the Arsenal piece that um, you did before the draw. We talked about it a little bit before, um, but I remember looking through the comments at the time. <laughs> bit of a mixed bag. Obviously, football is a game of opinions, but a lot of angry Arsenal fans in the comments <laughs> saying, you know, how the hell aren't we going to beat Brentford and stuff like that. Um, what, what was it like for you as a, more of like a journalistic question, I guess. What was it like for you seeing some of the comments saying that this was clickbait? And yeah. Uh, was it like when, when we got the draw and we, got the, we had that dominant dis- performance? Well, I think I, I think we all think we were unlucky to get. Yeah, we, on another day we could have won that game. Yeah, on another day, definitely. What was it? Was it kind of like I told you so? I mean, first <laughs> of all, shout out to the the Brentford fans in the comments who were like ba- backing me. Like, I, 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 I love that. I mean, comp- the the things that the Arsenal fans were saying were not that deep at the end of the day. You know, mm-hmm. some of my colleagues have had far worse, and, and I'm sure at some point I'll kind of get that. Um, on people saying it was clickbait, it kind of made me laugh because yeah, a lot of research went into that. So it's like uh, <laughs> it's like I know that's not clickbait. I get that Arsenal fans are, are fed up of the the two nil narrative, but I think Arsenal fans need to recognise that for Arsenal that was just another game and it is just another game in their history whereas for Brentford that's like a huge game in that history no one will ever forget that game Mm -hmm. so this kind of complex some Arsenal fans have about Brentford fans mentioning that 2-0 it's like you need to get over it because it's it's constantly going to be brought up every time you play Brentford (laughs) for the next 10-15 years that that game is probably going to get brought up so it's like you can be annoyed about it but it it just makes me laugh because it's like you really truly are rattled by that if you're top of the league <laughs> even, and it's still bothering you even some of the players like Gabriel yeah he loves the, it doesn't he yeah he, he's tweeted it once so he's probably nice kick about the boys yeah. <laughs> he's um, done it twice now as well hasn't he yeah I think he did it yeah, yeah. once in the away leg yeah and then the, st- and then the home game well, this when they season. beat us this season um, <laughs> it's just, I, I can't imagine it's just, sometimes the reality check so weird like we weren't in league one too long ago and now you're like yeah. wrestling top yeah. of the league but like, like Mikel Arteta with the um, Ivan Tony's tweet in uh, All or Nothing Arsenal documentary yeah. Yeah. Where you, I mean fair enough because I guess it worked but it was still just like you're, you're that bothered about it like, <laughs> yeah, it's just, just someone who's you know that was based I know it wasn't Tony's Premier League debut but it kind of was because obviously I think it was his first Premier League start he'd had a couple of minutes at Newcastle mm. but it's just someone Loving life in that moment, and you've turned it into some like battle cry. It was was funny though. Yeah, I, I wanted to go, go back to one of the first pieces you wrote for the Athletic for about Brentford. Yeah, um, I think it was after the Liverpool three three the three three game. Um, the title was something like "Why Watching Brentford Is Fun." I don't know if you remember that article specifically. I'm trying to throw my mind back um, to it, but I think I think I mentioned it at the start. There's a lot of people in the media now when they when they come down to the stadium, they say kind of the same thing. Whenever you yeah. watch. Um, Neville and Carragher yeah, on, yeah, on, yeah, on yeah. Super Sunday or Monday love Night Football. It, they love it. Yeah, they're always dogs yeah. with the fans. Is that as much down to the ethos of the club in general or, or is it down to the way we play or is it kind of somewhere in between? I think it's both. I think, I was, again, I was having this conversation with somebody the other day. Um, I can't remember who it was. It was someone at work. But basically saying having a 20,000-seater stadium is such a, it's just a perfect size for Brentford. Mm-hmm. Any more, and you risk it sometimes being maybe a little bit empty or the atmosphere is not as good whereas that being small compact and obviously like the way it's designed it's been designed so it like retains the noise it just feels like yeah this small little bowl this small little bubble of and bundle of energy um, whereas sometimes you go to bigger stadiums and the noise just kind of gets 
spread out sometimes. Mm-hmm. I think like the Emirates Stadium is probably like a good example of that. When the Emirates is quiet, like it's really quiet. I'm not going to call it the library. Don't, I've offended <laughs> Arsenal fans enough. Um, but again, then of course it's down to the way Brentford play. Like I'm always just amazed at how often Thomas Frank is prepared to like be really bold with his substitutions and make three in one go and switch from four three three to yeah. three five two. Um, I think the fact that a lot of the players at the club are so young and you can see wow Rico Henry's only I think he's still 25 maybe he's 26 in a couple of months like wow Rico Henry really dynamic left wing back how can people have never heard of him before obviously people had an idea that Tony was a good goal scorer at championship level and then you just kind of see the way he plays in the Premier League like he wasn't afraid to 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 you know bully Saliba and Gabriel last weekend and even his celebrations I think there's so many different components mm. um, that kind of add up to that level of excitement yeah and then obviously the Ericsson factor then took it to another level as well yeah mm. you, I know you wanted to chat a little bit about tactics um, yeah. I, I think you mentioned sort of the our ability to switch between the three at the back and then the four at the back do you think that's one of the reasons why we're doing so well it's kind of we see how the opposition's going to play and we match them it's it's it's, it's commendable for, for Frank to have to have two systems that work yeah. and they're proven, they're proven to work. Yeah, I think they coach that a couple of times a week or, or when they feel like it's necessary. And I think that's the key thing. Some managers will try a formation switch in a game. And if players aren't used to that and if they don't have very clearly defined roles, then it's just going to crumble apart. So when I interviewed David Rea last week, I was um, talking to him about why he always comes over to the to the touchline during games. And he said, oh, obviously it's partially for advice and to tell them what I see, for them to tell me what, what, what they see. But also when we have substitutions, I need to know if someone's got a different role. And obviously some people were thinking, well, if you're bringing on Keen Lewis Potter, he's going to come on at left wing. That's his role, right? Mm. Well, it's, with Brentford, it's not as simple as that. Mm. So obviously it was the Crystal Palace game, was wasn't it? I was about to ask you about this. Where, where Lewis Potter ends up at left wing back. Brian and Bumo then goes yeah. right wing back. Vitaly Janot goes left centre back. And obviously Vitaly is a very different left centre back to Ben Mee because he's normally a midfielder. So he's probably going to be mm. pushing up way more higher, be more progressive with the ball. And then that informs David Gerea's positioning. So to go back to the original <laughs> point, you can't do that unless everybody is used to that system and you constantly train it. And then that's where, yeah, Thomas Frank and the coaches have to take a lot of credit because a lot of hard work goes into being that flexible. Mm. And I think the best example this season I can think of is the 2-0 against Leicester because what it was the 46th minute when Dewsbury Hall made it 2-0 mm-hmm. and you're thinking, all right, this game's done. And then Frank and the coaches went, no, nah, we're not having that. Switched to 3-4-3 three, three, and, then, and then got a point out of it. Mm. Um, and that's kind of the benefit of just not being wedded to one particular system and kind of being bold and brave enough to know that this could backfire horribly and we could lose 4-0 here mm. or we could get a point and always kind of being positive and trying to do that. Yeah, I think uh, I think some of the things that we've been saying this season is the the strength and depth that we have now that we didn't have last yeah. season. But I always kind of think, well, if we lost the same calibre of player that we did this season, obviously we wouldn't do as well. But it is like now we've got Keenos Potter on the bench, we've got Godos on the bench who wasn't even in the squad against Palace, and there was no reports of him being injured. Like there's players that can't even get into the team, get into the get into the eighteen that were yeah. that were playing consistently last season. So, you know, it's, it's testament to how well we've recruited. And, um, you know, with with the ban on Tony, which I'm sure we'll get to in a little bit more depth, we've even got we've even got a supposed replacement for him. We've, we've been kind of saying that 
Sharda was definitely brought in as a Tony replacement, but we kind of think he has the same build as Ollie Watkins in yeah. the way that he plays. That's, yeah, that's my running theory. Yeah. <laughs> it's, um, Watkins Mark II. Yeah. Basically, even quicker. <laughs> <laughs> around, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, no, what, do you, what do you think? Do you think if, if he has to step into those boots of Tony, do you think... Do you think I think... Excuse me, he definitely can play centrally. I think my only concern with expecting him to, you know, hypothetically step into the team tomorrow and start performing is that Sharda's still only 21. And I think he'd only made like 40 appearances for Freiburg. So although he's undoubtedly talented, like he's still like incredibly raw. So suddenly expecting him to turn around and chip in with four goals before the end of the season is probably three too many. And again, I'm not trying to criticise Sharda's quality, not at all. It's just lack of experience. Like he's he's left Germany, his home country for the first time. Well, I think for the first time, as far as I'm aware. So, so many new experiences he needs to get used to. So in a year's time or in 18 months time, do I think he'll be at a level where he can play central week in, week out and be a real high quality striker? A hundred percent. But do I think it will happen right now? No. So I think he'll be part of the rotation. Mm. But I think what will probably happen is you'll do a, Visser down the middle, as we've seen before, it'll be Visser and Mbuma up top. I think Sharda will still very much be a, a bench option for now, because again, he he reminds me of a really good friend I went to high school with, who was almost too quick that his the rest like his brain can keep up. <laughs> <laughs> and again, that's not meant as a criticism. I think Sharda will just obviously be working with the coaches about how to just. Um, use his speed in the right moments, mm. how to link up play a little bit better and that comes with time and you can't expect him to do that in the Premier League straight off the bat. Mm. I, think, I think you're completely spot on there. Um, something I've been quite impressed with, small kind of glimpses of him was his kind of jumping reach and actually yeah. his kind of presence. He was kind of taller than, like we always say, I don't know if there's like, if there's official measurement on Tony's right, but we always say nah. like Tony's yeah. like the smallest, like the tallest five foot ten person. He's not, but I'm telling you he's not five it foot ten. It can't be, he cannot <laughs> my, my theory is that that measurement was taken when he was at Newcastle yeah. Um, and then the Premier League have just never updated it. Because yeah. I, I think I'm six foot on a good day and he's taller than me. So <laughs> e- either my grand's been lying to me and I'm actually five foot ten or, or something's not quite right. Here we go, myth busting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get on to Tony. Um, we've been done nothing but sing his praises the whole season. Um, I think it, we've even kind of agreed that, you know, without the Brentford hat on, I would say he's probably the most complete striker in the league bar Harry Kane. I know that might be a bold claim. I don't know what you think about that. Um. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. We've got the first controversial opinion. Uh, I don't know about that. Right, who putting? Who, who are you putting ahead so of him? We've got then? Kane, most complete. We're talking about here. We're going to convince you. I don't know if he will. <laughs> I, I understand what you're saying because Holland is just like pure, not pure speed, but like he's not as technically proficient as Ivan Tony, right? Like I would mm-hmm. say Ivan's technical ability on the ball is quite severely underrated by people who don't watch Brentford week in, exactly, week out. Yeah, yeah. You look at some of the passes he makes, like the oh, vision it's, it's, he's got to insane. do that is, is exceptional. So I get what you mean, but I don't know if I'm going to go on, <laughs> on record <laughs> yeah. and agree with yeah, you. I, I, yeah, yeah, if you're being specific, we're kind of saying, you know, Harry Kane is that player we now know him to kind of drop into that 10 role yeah. as well. So he's kind of got everything to his game. He's good in the air. He's di- like obviously, both of them got similarities. Like they're not the quickest. Yeah. Like, Haaland maybe been bookmarked a bit. Obviously, he scored a ridiculous amount of goals, but he's only he only basically just gets onto the yeah. end of the moves. So we're saying kind of in, I get what you mean. In that theory, there's, there's probably I mean, there's not many of those actual strikers in the league in the first place. Yeah. Um, but no, we, we do really. I don't think we're going to make him say it. No, nah, <laughs> no, nah, you're not going to make him say it. <laughs> no, I don't blame him. <laughs> <laughs> what do you What do you make of the whole Ivan Tony situation? Uh, obviously, news came out yesterday yeah. that um, he's admitted to some of the. 
262 breaches. Yes. Um, and there's going to be a hearing in April, I think. Is, is that That's their current report? I'm not really too sure of the ex- precise date of the hearing at the moment, mm. but I guess we should probably recap on what the, the actual charges are. So if I remember correctly, um, the news that he was you know, being investigated by the FA over alleged gambling activity broke back in November. I think it was just after the Nottingham Forest game. Um, and then that was the week the England squad was named. He wasn't named in it. And then Brentford beat Man City 2-1 at the Etihad. And it was something that everybody knew about but couldn't really talk about it at that point and then I think later on in November the FA made it official that he'd been charged 232 times and then in December he was hit with another 30 he had until January the 4th to respond so it's 262 charges in total and yeah from my understanding he's admitted to a few of those charges he's still contesting a lot of the others Um, but the tricky thing is is that I don't want to veer into to speculation because at the moment we still don't know what he's bet on. And that obviously is kind of crucial to this case. It will be a massive um, factor in terms of the, the sanction or the punishment he receives, whether that's a, a fine or whether that's a um, like a suspension. Mm-hmm. But I think the examples of Kieran Trippier, Joey Barton, Daniel Sturridge, um, two Boston United players who bet quite a lot on games, um, they kind of suggest that the likelihood is that he will get a ban, but we can't can't say that for certain. So it's obviously an unfortunate situation for him. Like he's in the form of his career. He scored what, 14 times already this season, so more than last year. Um, so you feel for him a little bit. Um, but hopefully there's clarity soon. I just don't, I don't know precisely when that's going to be. I mean, I think when it first came out in November, they were saying that he, he, he'd been investigated for seven months at that point. Mm. So what, we're now in March. So it's been going on for over a year. So it's queer, it's clearly quite like a complex scenario. Um, so I don't know if there's going to be like an easy solution just around the corner. Yeah, we, we've kind of said that watching it as a fan and watching him do well every week, it's just, just so strange. It, it's just, it's, it feels so, it feels a little bit surreal because you're watching him score and you know, you know, he's getting the England call up and there's all these big things happening, mm. but he's got this ban looming and it's just like, when is it going to happen? Um, it's going to be big shoes to fill. I mean, I like you said, Sharda, we've only seen him play minutes really, um, but it's going to be difficult either way without without him. Uh, but yeah. you know hopefully where, where do you think say I mean this is all hypothetical but say I don't know end of March so you've still got a decent amount of the season left what would what would be a good finish to the season for Brentford without their main man out front I still think even without Tony if, if Brentford were to lose him I still think a top 10 finishes on the cards because mm. as you just kind of mentioned a minute ago the strength and depth is a little bit better um, and I just look at some of the teams who are, you know, 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th, and I don't think they're particularly inspiring. I think Aston Villa are one to look out for because obviously Unai Emery is like a, like a really great coach. Yeah. But I look at Leicester, who have just been so inconsistent this season. Um, look at Crystal Palace, who just don't score goals. And I can't see them all of a sudden changing overnight. I think... I would love for obviously for Brentford to kind of maintain where they are in the table and knocking on the door of sixth, seventh, eighth. But you just can't help but think Liverpool and Chelsea are going to kind of come back at some point. Mm. Um, so I think a top ten finish would be great with with or without Tony. Mm. Without Tony, it'd be sensational. Um, but yeah, I guess we just have to see what happens. Yeah, I mean, we've we've joked for weeks now about the European <laughs> checking the passports are ready for not up for renewal. But um, <laughs> I think. Uh, being a realist that we it never was going to really like I mean it's still on the cards we're, <laughs> I don't, we're up I, and about I, I, don't, I don't think it's out of the question because obviously I have just mentioned I expect Liverpool and Chelsea to come back at some point but then they are just being so consistently 
underwhelming in yeah. their performances. It's like, well, what is it going to take for them to all of a sudden kind of get their act together? Exactly. Um, and I think Brentford have just been so consistent in terms of they've pretty much avoided injuries. When you think of the kind of injuries that happened last year, that's not really been as big of a deal. Obviously, Hickey was out for a bit and then Rust have covered him really well. Pontus, I think losing Pontus a year ago for this amount of time would have been a, had a much bigger impact on the team. It's not really. Yeah. Losing Ayer has not been that big of a deal. So I think the team have just learned how to cope a lot better and that kind of resilience will serve them well. Um, so may, maybe it is possible. It's just, I think in order to kind of stay in that region, you maybe need a little bit more from people coming off the bench, such as your your Damsgaards and your Lewis Potters, mm. and we've not quite seen that yet. So maybe that's where we'll fall short compared yeah. to we other teams. We spoke about this last week, didn't we? Because we were kind of noting that they're basically, like a lot of that bench, big money on that bench. Yeah, mm. it's probably more expensive than the first eleven. Yeah, close to it at least. Mm. Um, and like players like KLP and Damsgaard, they've made about one or two starts all season. Um, they've just not really had the chance to get mm. into the team and like, there's, like I said there's some big games coming up especially if you're in this European race you've got Fulham on Monday and then Brighton and the Horizon as well they're kind of six pointers um, yeah it'd be interesting to see how those kind of players step up um, yeah interesting times to come yeah I know are you looking forward to Monday Fulham West London derby I, I know you must have had what so now you've had uh, wait, how many? Well, I mean, how many will you have had? Because well, Fulham weren't here last season, so so just the one this season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. No, yeah, looking forward to it. Um, actually, said to my my colleague Peter Rutzler, who covers Fulham at the beginning of the season, I was like, who do you think is going to score more, Tony or, or Mitrovic? And I think we had like a, a light joke that oh, I'm saying Tony's going to do better, Mitrovic is going to do better. I think. Tony's on 14. I think Mitrovic is on like 10 or something mm. like that at the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's always been like a bit of an on-running joke between us. And obviously the game at Craven Cottage back in right at the beginning of the season, um, didn't Fulham go ahead after like two minutes or yeah. Some, yeah. So, so, something ridiculous? Mm -hmm. So kind of Brentford were always fighting from, from minute one in that game and then it got back to two all and then three two. So it was a cracking atmosphere at Craven Cottage and it was just a really pretty much kind of like the perfect August Premier League game where yeah. there's just goals galore, yeah. the sun is shining right by the river. It was a good vibe. Um, and obviously this time around, it's on a Monday night and mm -hmm. it'll be interesting to see what the atmosphere is like on a Monday night compared to like Friday night football. I'm hoping there will still be a lot of people mm -hmm. there, but obviously work in the morning, late at night, that might impact it a little bit. Um, but I think it's going to be a proper good occasion. And obviously because of where they are in the league, yeah, this exactly. is like, oh, like, let, 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 there's a lot on the line potentially exactly. here. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's going to be class. Really looking forward to that. I think, uh, what do you think atmosphere-wise is better when we play QPR or when we play Fulham? Uh, QPR. Yeah, I think there's more hatred in there. For okay. Lesser, yeah, yet to experience that. Yeah. Um, I mean, no. long may that be the case. <laughs> <laughs> Probably yeah, the way they're looking this season, but yeah, have to be a little cup draw next year. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, uh, yeah, there's a diff there's definitely a difference between yeah. So QPR and Fulham, Fulham's kind of the the neighbours. You know, they've got to the cup final, they're posh. Like whereas <laughs> you've got QPR, like, they're a lot more comparable to Brentford. And yeah. then, like, I don't know if you know about the history, but we probably do. Yeah. Like, they tried to take us over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like so, there's a lot more like, hatred there. Yeah. So, like, those, so if that game was on, if you compare, it, you'd probably get a few more decibels. It was QPR. Okay. But there's definitely still like. Because you don't get that many clubs. Obviously, West London's a bit of an anomaly in football, isn't it? Because you've yeah. got so many big teams um, in one place. Hmm. So it, you can't have a rival. Because like Chelsea is technically a rivalry as well. Well, and they don't care about us, though, do they? And, really? and, it, and there's always been such a big gap between the two of us yeah. that it doesn't... like. It is a bit, but like when like I'm sure it was the same when you went to school. Like most people support Chelsea like mm -hmm. around in this area because you know, they're the big Premier League team winning Champions Leagues. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, it's funny, you had, obviously you mentioned the 4-1 earlier, how t- tables have changed, but um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's going to be, be a loud one. The, the, the funny thing with Chelsea is that obviously Mikhailo Mudrik was the man that Brentford yeah, were chasing yeah. for so long and he said in the summer that he was, um, you know, wanted to go to a team in Europe and what Chelsea, what 10th for the yeah. moment and uh, yeah, and Potter's position's be- not looking too good, so it's just crazy that... Yeah, Mudrick could have been at Brentford and, and now he's at Chelsea and they've kind of like swapped positions in the league. It's, it's just baffling how quickly football like changes. people don't know that. Yeah. But like, no, it's no. been reported on, but like your average maybe top four, top six fan that doesn't maybe look that too yeah. much into it, they they actually do have no idea that like we like chased them so much and I mean, there's rumours of, of what why the deal never went through, whether it was on our side, their side, players' side, but we were pretty close to signing. When I think um, in terms of that, I think what happened in January kind of gives you... Um, if you look at what happened in January of, with uh, Chelsea and Arsenal, you can draw your own conclusions. It's pretty obvious that Brentford basically experienced very slim, very similar to what Arsenal did in the yeah. terms of that. Negotiations with just Shakhtar are just incredibly difficult. Mm. Um, and fair play to Shakhtar because at every stage they felt like, oh, we can probably get an extra mm. 10 million here, we can probably get an extra 20 million here and they've actually somehow managed to do it. You know, yeah. this time a year ago, Mudrick's value would have maybe been 20 million euros, 25, 30 million euros tops and they got what? 90, 80, yeah. 100, I think 80 million euros yeah, for him 80. in the end. So his price has nearly tripled mm. within a space of 12 months and that's when he's not actually played that many games in that amount of time. So, it was always going to be a difficult deal to do, but you can just tell that Shakhtar always felt like, actually, maybe if we keep him just a little bit longer. Yeah. And then I think he just started ripping it up in the Champions League, yeah, didn't he? Cool. So at that point, it was like, oh, okay, <laughs> it's game over now. He's not going to be moving to Brentford. Yeah. But yeah. Hmm. Um, before I wanted to talk a little bit about your, your role at The Athletic, um, we'll end this sort of Brentford-centric part with uh, some quick-fire questions because um, it wouldn't be a podcast without one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who's the biggest personality in the current players in the current squad of players? I think it probably would be Ivan. Ivan, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He comes across that way. I think he is obviously quite like, um, he's quite like a bit of a joker. Mm. Obviously seeing the club's videos and things like that, he's always kind of like the one, not up to mischief, but like smiling and like cracking dad jokes and things like that. Um, But obviously he also just leads by example by what he does on the pitch, Um, scoring goals all the time. Just the amount of times I kind of see him shouting at Brian and Boomer or someone to like get your positioning right and things like that like he's definitely I think the biggest personality mm. um, if Ivan Tony doesn't get the ban this season how far can Brentford go this season I think 7th or 8th 7th or 8th I'll take that take that <laughs> not too bad <laughs> <laughs> uh, best moment covering Brentford since you started I think the 4-0 against Man United yeah. um, I've got a lot of mates who are big Man United fans and my cousin's a big Man United fan and um, I'll draw him out after the <laughs> after the uh, after, after the free one uh, my cousin wasn't best pleased with what Thomas Frank said about um, Brentford destroying Man United oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I said look yeah, yeah he's got a point um, and you know it was a funny game because obviously then Ronaldo had like a little bit of a strop when he got taken off by um, Ralph Ranyak wow as if that was a year ago Ralph <laughs> <Ranyak>. <laughs> crazy and um, I was just like you were lucky and then the game at Old Trafford just felt like a little bit of a Brentford never really got going in that game I always felt like 
this this team is there to be got at. So the four 0 was like vindication, basically. Hmm. And yeah, I sent him a few messages that night, just reminding him of. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as you do, just whenever. winding him up. Yeah, Crazy turnaround they've had, like from I there know, yeah. to, to on the weekend. I, I still think they're going to get found out. I just don't know how you can get turned over four 0 by oh, us. No. I almost think they they owe Brentford like a, a bit of thanks, like that four 0 Yeah, we we <laughs> really after that game that they ran like all the miles that we yeah, ran. It was yeah. yeah. And Ten Hag ran it with them. Yeah, it was like their turning point. This yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> when we play them it's going to be fascinating to see how it plays out because I just the thing is if we I know there's a big gap between now and when we actually played them when we were supposed to play them last week but if they're still doing fantastically and we're still doing fantastically you know that game could have serious ramifications in terms well, of they top might, four they, they might still be in they Europe might, as well yeah and they might still be in for the title like this I was saying to my mates this season this season I think has the potential to be one of the best Premier League seasons to date like there's the titles the titles between well you, you could say that Man United are still in it Arsenal kind of sort of had that little wobble. Now they're, they're starting to yeah, gain form again. You've got these these three teams in the middle: Brentford, Brighton, and Fulham, who are pushing yeah. for Europe. You've got Liverpool and Chelsea faltering, with everyone thinking, like you saying, yeah. they're going to come back. You've got up relegation still up for grabs. South, Southampton onto their third manager of the season. I know. <laughs> I know. Yeah. It's going to it's going to be crazy. However, it however it pans out. Uh, favorite piece you've written about Brentford? Um, mm, that's a tricky one. I did really like writing about Ivan's journey from, um, you know, Northampton to yeah. England, just because I think there were so many times during that journey where other people have probably failed at those hurdles. Mm. Obviously, it was quite a big thing moving to, well, basically when he's 16, he keeps Northampton in the, the EFL with like a, a header and an overhead kick, which at 16 is just like, <laughs> it's just like ridiculous. <laughs> uh, and then obviously 18 goes to Newcastle and then just drops down the league. Like I think to kind of, I know he didn't play for England, but to come back and even even get called up, I think that's a remarkable story. Um, anything I've done with like Suzanne Rowan about Robert, like mm-hmm. I, I had my heart screened last year and that was um, that was kind of like, yeah, quite like a sobering moment. I'll try and re- anything like that. I've obviously done a lot with the B team. Like I went to Cyprus with the B team. That was a really cool experience. And I think it's all good fun watching the first team week in, week out, but actually getting to know some of the B team players and watching them progress from being good players to like really talented players. Mm-hmm. And on the cusp of the first team, first team, that's been really good as well. So probably they're, they're the three things slash topics that I've covered that I'm probably the most proud of since since I've started yeah. covering Just the Just on that B team, <laughs> you give us three players. <laughs> there are three players for yeah. us to watch out for in the B team. Daniel Oyugok, the right back. Um, he's obviously just come back from time out at MK Dons. And I, I spoke to him about it recently after one of the games. I think it was Romeo Beckham's debut, actually. And he was like, Do you know, it was a good experience for me because he went out, he saw what proper first team football was like. I think Liam Manning was the coach and he got fired. MK Dons nearly got promoted last year. Or did they get promoted last year? I can check. They're in League One this season, I think. I think yeah. they nearly got promoted last year. Oh, good team. Were expe- sold Scott Twine to Burnley. Were expected to go again and it's not quite worked out that way. And so I think he said that was a good kind of experience for him. Big fan of Paris Magoma as well, who's yeah. at MK, who's at, now at MK Dons. I think he scored last night as well. Yeah. Um, middle finger, by the way, <laughs> take it, recall him and then loan him out to MK Dons. Wimbledon to MK Dons. Yeah, that was yeah very I, unhappy. AFC. I hadn't even thought of that actually. Very yeah. unhappy at AFC Wimbledon. <laughs> and it's fair enough to be. Yeah, um, and then obviously people like Nathan Young Coombs, Finn Stevens, Ryan Trevitt, who have all kind of made their first team appearances already. Oh, We've like seen Ryan fleetingly. I've, I've watched them at uh, what was it, Colchester. 
the yeah. Carabao. Thought he was very good. Yeah, he's um, really good, really good in tight a spaces. City mates went over to Portugal to watch the tournament. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, and they they said that Trevor looked pretty good in the, the couple of games that they saw out there. Yeah, yeah. The coaches really rate him. So I think he's he's just because obviously he's got like quite a remarkable story. Like he was at Leatherheads under 19s, and mm. Brentford just plucked him out of nowhere. But I think he's one of those players who you might. This is no disrespect, Ryan. If you're listening, there might be other players in theory in that B team who you would look at and think might have better quality than Ryan, but I think his attitude and his mm. the, the his willingness to work hard has made him kind of like jump up to their level. So like full credit to him for doing that. I wonder if he's one of those players that will get some time out on loan maybe the next season. I could see that happening, yeah, definitely. Because I think he's probably, I think he trains basically with the first team week in, week out. Really? So that, that's kind of like the next step that he needs to make, right? He yeah. obviously went on tour with them with the first team when they went to Spain, like just before, while the World Cup was going on. So all the signs are there that he's thought of really highly. Well, I know he's thought of really highly. So it's just how does he make that break into the first team? Does he go mm. straight in or does he need a loan? Yeah. What about um, we got Bidstrip out in, in, in <laughs> yeah, Denmark he's having the time of his life. Man the match every game. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. he stands with the fans on the yeah, 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 yeah. the pain of Bacondes as well. But again, I think that's why loans can be so important to a player's development. It's obviously really tricky to get a loan deal right, but. Mads has always been a really talented player, but again, he's never maybe that, had that many minutes. And mm. then he's gone over to Norgesland and now he's like the focal point of that team, like absolutely like ripping it up in that yeah. division, like one of the best players in that division. And just the kind of like responsibility he has in that team, being the lead or being one of the key players mm. in it, he would have developed so much. So I'm, yeah, I really hope he comes back and he's part of the rotation as well. So I think he's a really quality player. Yeah, I'm keen to see now he gets on. Yeah. Like a pretty stats in that midfield. I know, mm. but the Port Vale game last year, I know it was only Port Vale in the cup. He was he just was another level. Yeah, no, he, was, he was silky that game. I remember him when he came, did he come on when we beat West Ham last year away? I think he came on yeah, towards he the did, end he did, and, he he did, and he's still putting a good show in. So yeah. I, was, I was a little bit confused when they loaned him out because I was thinking, oh, well, if he's getting minutes off the bench, I thought he might be able to break into the starting 11. But Seems like it's been beneficial. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I hope there's a place for him in the team. Maybe yeah. there'll be a few outgoings in the mid midfield. It's quite quite stacked at the moment. Yeah, yeah. We'll I mean, Onyeka was. We were singing his praises a few weeks ago because he's just like he looked like he was a new player. Yeah, he did. He did. He um, injured, didn't he? And now he's got injured, and you know, you kind of think where is he going to fit back yeah. into the team now? Baptiste came on against Palace. I forgot about him. Yeah, mm. like we just have so like <laughs> yeah. so many midfielders, but like, he he's always like a seven out of ten. Like he never played yeah. badly. Like, mm. I, I do very much rate him. Yeah. Um, I, I did want to talk to you about your role at The Athletic a little yeah. bit, just to wrap up the Brentford chat, kind of. I think a lot of people would be interested to know sort of your route into journalism. Yeah. Um, you started at Sky, right? Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so I went to Birmingham City University and um, I did a, yeah, um, like a media and communication course, but like I specialised in journalism. And the good thing about that course was that it covered loads of different areas. So it also covered like photography, um, PR, and it had like broadcast and written journalism. And so I kind of like got involved in both, did a lot of like, um, what's the word? Uh, what are they called at unis? Not varsity, but basically got involved with like the, the uni TV program and like, and did like TV shows and stuff, which I think are probably still on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> we, should have, we should have dug those out yeah. before. <laughs> but I had no beard, had like the shortest haircut. It's, it's not a good look. Um, <laughs> but the uni had a, has like a scholarship scheme with Sky. So every year they take a couple of students, but you've got to go through like quite a good, um, 
got to go through like a proper application process and be interviewed. And I remember I went for it in my second year and got like nowhere near it. And that was kind of the the sign for me, like, oh, if I want to have a career in this industry, I need to like actually put a little bit of effort in and not just coast all the time. So end of third year, um, managed to get on the scholarship scheme. I was there for two weeks and um, a friend had done it a couple of years before. And he just said, you know, go there, try to speak to as many people as possible. And um, I remember rocking up on the first day in like a suit with... I don't want to say it was a pink tie. I think it was a blue tie. <laughs> but um, I took it so seriously and I got there and everyone at Sky was dressed so casually. <laughs> I was like, oh, I, like, I, was like I, I stand out like a sore thumb here. But at the same time, some people like, Rem- still remember that to this day because they were like, do you know what? You came in with the right attitude though. Yeah. Like, You're probably <laughs> too smart. <laughs> of course, of course. And um, I think sometimes where you're in situations like that where you're at Sky and like, during that time, like I think I walked past like Thierry Henry, um, Perez, possibly Balak, like some of the names you're seeing were, were just insane. And I think it'd be very easy to just turn into like a, a fan in those moments and kind of mm-hmm. act unprofessionally. And I kind of told myself like, if you're going to work here and you're going to be at Sky, this is going to happen all the time. You have to kind of conduct yourself in the right way. Mm-hmm. So I fought every instinct in my body to, <laughs> to go and chat to those people or get a photo of those people. I just tried to be as diligent as possible. And Sky were like, oh, you can go home at, four today if you want and I was like and I was like why would I, I might never step foot in this building ever again like why, why would I go at four so I always stayed like probably later than usual and then just off the back of that Sky kind of like um kept in contact with me and they invited me to be a freelancer I won't bore you with the details but it was like a very um behind the scenes tv role quite technical so nothing that I wanted to do long term at all but it was a foot in the door did that for a couple of years um, Skyrunner NCTJ course yeah. um, so like official journalism courses for anyone that doesn't know um, for people in-house and the course I did at uni wasn't accredited by the NCTJ so it was a really good opportunity for me and I got to do that with people like Geraint Hughes and I'm a big fan of Geraint he's like been covering, Ars- covering Arsenal he's been um, working for Sky Sports News for like 20 years or something mm. like that I think we worked it out on the day that he like graduated the year I was born or something mad like that. <laughs> so to to learn from him um, was like absolutely crazy. And I think I was probably the youngest person on the course. So just to kind of hear from people who've been in the industry for a lot longer than me was really valuable. It's how I met Dara, obviously like your tutor. Um, and I also had to go to those lectures sometimes after doing an overnight. So I'd finish. So I'd do overnights at Sky sometimes where I'd start at like 7 p.m. in the evening and finish at like 6 a.m. in the morning. Mm. And the lecture would be at like 2 p.m. in the afternoon. <laughs> so I lived in Brixton at the time. So I'd like, it was a bit of a trek to get from Brixton to West London. So, yeah. you know, I'd go home, sleep for three hours, come back for the lecture. And I think it made me realize again that, especially in this industry, like you have to be prepared to work hard and get, and get sleepless nights. And then I always knew that writing was what I wanted to do. And um, I moved to a new role um, in sports news, which is the the yellow ticker, so when it comes up breaking news, yeah. which was just which was just mad because obviously like any any kid that's grown up watching Sky Sports News, you always think how like how do you get to do that? And I got to do that, which was just uh, yeah, very funny, very crazy. And um, off the back of that, obviously you're in the newsroom more often. You get to speak to reporters and stuff. And then a good friend of mine, Nick, did a lot of boxing stuff, and he'd be like, right, I'm interviewing this boxer do you want to write up the interview afterwards and um i remember there was one boxer called bilal fawaz who's got like a crazy story he's basically um a victim of um what's the word like child trafficking Mm -hmm. and he kind of told us his story and i got to kind of write like a feature about that and um that just kind of got me 
writing a few more features um, gave me a bit more experience and obviously that's what the Athletic's known for. Um, so when the opportunity to kind of get involved and cover Brentford came up, I kind of said, well, I've written this re really cool feature on this and that. And, um, and it kind of went from there really. And then, yeah, the last 18 months ever did, since have been a whirlwind. Did they, did they pitch you the job with, with knowing it was going to be Brentford or did, was that kind of came up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically I went to like a, a talent ID day at The Athletic. Um, I, I think people at Sky know that. <laughs> 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 no, I think, they, I think they do by now. It, it felt like I was cheating at the time though. It was like... Yeah. Uh, I remember not being too sure whether to tell my boss or not. And in the end, I was like, I, I get on really well. My boss is still, well, my old boss still chat to him now. And I was like, um, look, I'm just going to be honest. Like tomorrow, I know it's my day off, but I'm doing this thing with the athletic. And he was like, all right, cool. Fair enough. Like good, good luck. So shouts out to him for being so supportive. And um, yeah, then did the talent ID day. It was really cool. It was over Zoom and they just put us through like a lot of mock scenarios. It, it was kind of like just a good networking experience as well to mm. meet other people similar age to me, similar background to me who wanted to get into the industry as well. And then, um, yeah, people at the Athletic just stayed in touch and said, yeah, we were quite impressed by what you're saying, what you did. Um, if anything comes up, we'll let you know. And then, yeah, they basically said, well, we'd be really interested in, in interviewing you for, for this Brentford role. And I was like, well, yeah, sign, sign me up to that thing. And yeah, the rest was, rest was history. Obviously did enough to impress them um, to give me the job. Mm. Well, why do you think there's been like a... <clears throat> Since the Athletic started a couple of few years ago, there's been like a sort of the best journalists I, I find now when I'm when I'm reading the Athletic or just engaging in sports content in general. It always comes from the Athletic. There was like a yeah. switch at some point where yeah. all the best journalists just said, "I'm going to I'm going to the Athletic now." Why, why do you think that is? It just is is their company values or? Um, I think loads of different reasons. I, I can't speak for everybody, but I think for me, um, I was a fan pretty much from the moment the Athletic launched in the in the UK in 2019. I think it was. Because um, again, a friend started working for them. And I think it was just being able to read something that was varied, that mm. was really in depth. Um, so that if you're really interested in tactics, yeah. Michael Cox will write 2,000 words on Brentford's tactics against mm. Arsenal. Um, if you're more interested in the business of sport, and that's something that I'm not an expert, but it's something I've become more intrigued in f from subscribing to The Athletic and now working for The Athletic, like actually understanding how much money a club loses. Like we spoke about QPR earlier, like they're, they're losing like 474 mm. grand a week. It's crazy. I quite like being able to read a 3,000, 4,000 word piece on what's exactly gone wrong. Um, Cause it just makes you more informed and it makes you, yeah, then be better educated when you're trying to impress your mates down at yeah, the pub yeah. or whatever and say, well, I read this. Um, I think there's just so many different topics. It's obviously, if you only want to read about Man United, you only yeah. have to read about Man United. Um, I think it's just, there's something for everybody, whether you're a diehard football fan, whether you're a new football fan, I think there's just so much variety on the website. And I, I think that's the key thing why mm. it's attracted, excuse me, a big audience and why it's attracted a lot of, a lot of journalists. Mm. I think uh, a lot of people might not know that you went to cover the World Cup in Qatar. Um, we've spoken in depth about yeah. it, but uh, could you talk a little bit about your experience out there? Was, how yeah. did you find it? I think when <laughs> I spoke- dreams, you said. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I think when <laughs> I spoke to you, I was still like, uh, what's the word? Uh, I was just basically in like a bit of a robotic state that week, that first week I came back. Like I couldn't just really process it all. Whereas now it's been a couple of months. Um, it's definitely sunk in a little bit more. That was like the main thing I wanted to achieve in life basically was to go to a World Cup. So to do that first and foremost was was crazy. Um, I kind of went out there thinking if I get to go to one quarterfinal match, I'd be happy. And I went to the final, both semis, two quarters. <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I didn't get a chance to see Brazil out there, which was, I was a little bit gutted about. I didn't see Portugal either, which would have been cool. But I mean, like I saw Argentina, what, play three or four times. Watched England play France. Um, watched Ghana-Uruguay. And that was a big thing for me because... I really remember watching Ghana Uruguay when the Suarez handball. Mm. So it's like I get to watch the like the revenge mission. Although it didn't work out that way. <laughs> that was really cool. And um obviously, you know, lots has been written about whether it was right to kind of host the country and host the tournament in Qatar. Um but to be honest, my experiences were, were quite pleasant out there. But then Adam Kraft and one of my colleagues, you know, reports about someone dying at the training base in Saudi Arabia and it kind of always you'd always have these tiny little reminders that <clears throat> okay, this World Cup's really sparkly, it's really shiny, but actually there's probably stuff that we have no idea that's going on behind the scenes um, and that they've probably made the place look pretty four yeah. or five weeks and you don't know what's going to happen afterwards when everybody leaves. Um, but it was, on the whole, like an, an amazing experience. It just went by like in the blink of an eye, but it was, um, it was good fun, yeah. That final must have been just insane. Do you know what? <laughs> Uh, I actually remember Morocco, Spain a little, a little bit better. I think that's my highlight hmm. of the tournament, just because there's a lot of like, although it was a really boring game, there's a lot of obviously like geopolitical tension between the two countries, mm -hmm. um, and so the way Morocco fans celebrated that win was was crazy. I actually think that was the best atmosphere at the tournament. And me and a few of my colleagues kind of did a piece where we followed Morocco fans, and they went to the souk, which was like this 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 market in the middle of Qatar in Doha and they just took it over but there wasn't any trouble they were just like singing in the streets people beeping their people beeping their car horns um it really was like a takeover and the vast majority of that tournament there was no atmosphere so it really really stood out when there was but again the final my main memory of the final is i was sat next to a french journalist and he started crying um <laughs> when the game was over and uh, I really wish I, I knew his name or I got his contact details or something because I feel like I've shared that moment with him like I'll never forget it because everyone in the stadium was on their feet clapping my colleagues behind me like, like screaming and um, this guy was just sat like in tears like head in his hands and I just sat with him and hugged him I was, <laughs> I, I was like if I stand up right now and start celebrating like I'm just properly going to be rubbing salt in the wounds. <laughs> and he was probably like that for like five minutes. And then at the end, he like stood up, we like proper hugged it out and then he walked off. And <laughs> so I'm like, oh, shit, I probably, probably, probably should have got that guy's name. Um, but I mean, I'd, I'm a huge fan of, of Kylian Mbappe ever since he, he burst onto the scene. And I would, it was kind of like my thing at the tournament. Like I really want to see Messi, I really want to see Mbappe. So to just see him score that volley, you're like, <laughs> you're like, this is just, this is just crazy. Um, and to, I think also I realised afterwards, like, as far as we know, that's the last 32 Team World Cup. Um, mm. That's possibly Messi's last tournament. And you start thinking about, oh, wow, that really was quite lucky to kind of go to that tournament in particular. Because we don't know what it's going to be like with, with 48 teams. Mm. And is it going to be 16 groups of three? And the World Cup that I grew up knowing is 32. And it's going to be completely different from the future. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was mad. Yeah, I'm jealous. I you, think I... <laughs> you touched on it twice. You touched on doing a Premier League game as a, a goal. Yeah. And then obviously the World Cup, that's even more. You're a young man still. Where'd you go from here? <laughs> to be honest, it's something I've not not fully worked out yet. Um, I always try and write a goals list at the beginning of every year and I've not actually done it just yet. I've got like a, a loose one of like long-term life goals. Yeah. Um, and yeah, obviously like I've, I've ticked a couple of things off mm. quicker than maybe I anticipated. Um, I think I want to go obviously cover like more 
like Euro 2024, World Cup in 2026. Like, although it's going to be a 48 team tournament, which is maybe not ideal for it to be like in Canada, Mexico, USA, mm. especially because it's the US, like that's going to be a tournament on a on a on another level. So I'm yeah. like, I'm going to that. <laughs> yeah. uh, it'd be really fun to like cover Europa League, Champions League games. Hopefully, you know, that's Europa League next year with, with <laughs> yeah. Brentford. Um, so yeah, just want to keep keep going, really. Yeah, that sounds sounds like a good plan. Much appreciated. Great plan, uh, Jay. Just before we wrap this up, have you thought of the funniest present story? Yeah, I think it's not that funny because <laughs> you kind of need to see the context. But I did put it out on my um, Twitter at the time. But there's been a few occasions where Thomas Frank and I just have these quite strange interactions in a in a press conference. Um, so there was one where I did a piece where I revisited the the four pubs in the corner of Griffin Park, mm -hmm. and one of them. I think it's the Princess Royale. Yeah, yeah. Um, there were loads of rumours about that it was being turned into a Tesco's or a Sainsbury's. I basically found out it's been turned into, I think it's an Ar Armenian church, yeah. although I don't know if there's been any update They're on it. They're finally doing something to the oh, inside well. of it because go, I go to the pub, to the Griffins. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I walk past it for the home games. They're finally doing something. But it, it looks a bit, allegedly, it looks a bit dodgy. It's <laughs> paid a lot of money for that building. But anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, I was just in a press conference once. I was like... Oh. Thomas, like, do you ever go to the four pubs in the corner? He's like, I think I went to this one. I said, oh, do you know what's happening happening to uh, to them? And he's like, no, they're still there. And I was like, oh, it's been turned into an Armenian church. And he just was like, what, really? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen that. It was just like, a, I was like, oh, cool. And then there was just one where um, it was after Nottingham Forest away this season. Um, and I got back really late from that game because as we kind of touched on off camera earlier, yeah. like train travel in this country is just like ridiculous no and, trains that day right? yeah, yeah and I got back at maybe like 11 half 11 at night or whatever it was went to the McDonald's and there was no milkshake and I was like <laughs> 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 I did, to me it was just like the biggest crime at that point in time <laughs> I, was, I was like gutted so someone someone asked me um just before the press conference probably started like um, how did you? What time did you get back? Da, 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 da. And I said oh, I didn't get a milkshake. And, <laughs> and Thomas Frank was like, "What? No milkshake?" <laughs> <laughs> it's just a surreal moment where like Premier League managers concerned that you you couldn't get a vanilla milkshake on a Saturday night. It's like, wow, this oh, is a bit what, bit what crazy. But it's yeah. gonna be up there that story. Yeah, Anyway, Jay, that was an absolute pleasure, mate. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, the Edinburgh podcast will be back following the Fulham game on Monday night. Uh, not sure which day we're going to record. We need to sort something out. Um, but we also are recording a very special episode tomorrow evening with the next player, which some of you will know about if you've been keeping track of our Twitter updates. Uh, so yeah, look out for that as well. So yeah, follow us on Twitter um, at The Eating Road. Follow our YouTube, which we will be uploading this video to. And we will see you next week. Cheers. Cheers. Podcast Network.